approached it similar to I do any competition. It was definitely different though, just not being next to an athlete because I think that's part of why I love competing is being side by side with people, having the spectators cheer you on and scream you on and just being in that environment is just like so much energy and you push yourself and you don't think as much about the pain um, as when you're doing a workout by yourself. But I'm thankful that there was like, because CrossFit ended up sending judges. So it's nice that we had a judge and the gym that we were at had some of their members come and spectate. And it was really cool. Also, like having my coach right there next to me, which is different than, you know, any other sort of competition. So it kind of felt like a competition, but also didn't, like I said, just because of those factors. But I did my best to keep it the same as a competition setting, because I bet similar to you, being an athlete and growing up in gymnastics, just that, that competition mentality, nothing is like it. And you just like bring yourself a little bit higher up than in training. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. In this episode, I sit down with Carrie Pierce, who is a six-time CrossFit Games athlete and among the top five fittest women in the world who are about to take on stage two of the 2020 CrossFit Games this week. She has been a very consistent performer, never finishing outside the top 10 since her rookie season in 2015. She's also earned the title of Fittest American Female three times and has represented Team USA at the CrossFit Invitational in 2016 in Canada as well as 2017 in Australia. Carrie has a background in gymnastics and she competed for the University of Michigan where she and her team won four Big Ten championships. There she also earned her degree in movement science from the School of Kinesiology and she was three-time academic All-Big Ten. In addition to being a full-time athlete, she's used her experience with gymnastics, CrossFit, and coaching to develop Power Abs, which is a core program done by thousands of people around the world. In this episode, we caught up just a couple weeks before Stage 2 of the 2020 CrossFit Games to talk about some of our shared experiences growing up doing gymnastics in Michigan, her collegiate gymnastics career, how she found CrossFit, some defining moments in her games career thus far, and how she's approached all the twists and turns of this unprecedented season. Before we dive into the episode, we do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. We recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. So with that, we'll get started with the episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm super excited to be here with Carrie Pierce today leading up to the 2020 final stage of the CrossFit game. So thank you. I know you're very busy and I know this time is always very stressful. So thank you for taking the time to join me. Of course. And thanks for having me on. Yeah. I um, am really excited to talk to you because we actually have a ton in common, but we haven't really had a lot of chances to spend time together. And so I'm excited to talk about a lot of those things, but um, you know, you started competing the year that I stopped, so we never have really competed together in CrossFit, but we both have our roots in Michigan, both grew up doing gymnastics in Michigan, and we both went to U of M during the same years, I believe, 2007 to 2011. Mm -hmm. Uh, So lots of things in common that we can talk about, but I thought 
maybe first just telling us a little bit about your background growing up doing gymnastics um, in Michigan, and then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's super cool that we both are from Michigan and went to Michigan and crossed paths there. Um, yeah, so I started gymnastics at the age of three with my sister. She was two years older, and my parents wanted to put her in gymnastics. So they figured, why not throw me in there as well? Because I was going to be there watching her anyway. So might as well jump into class and learn a thing or two. And I just I fell in love with it from a young, young age. They tried to put me in soccer, in swimming, in t-ball, dance, a lot of other sports. But I always was just like gymnastics. Yeah. gymnastics. Um, so kept kind of going back to that. Is that how you were as well? Sort of. I didn't find it that young. So I did, you know, sort of the, you know, preschool gymnastics. I remember doing that a little bit. And then I tried a bunch of different sports, soccer and tennis and everything. And then I didn't actually start really doing gymnastics until like third grade, which is very late. And, um, but once I found it, I was like, I quit everything else. And I went all in on gymnastics because I loved it. Yeah. And like, I guess I just found my love for it a little sooner than you did. Um, but it's cool that once you started, you found your love for it just because it's it's an addicting sport because especially if you're a perfectionist, you just chase perfection. And that's, you know, the goal of the sport, no matter how long you do it, there's new skills to learn. And I think that's kind of what kept me in it. So mm -hmm. I did gymnastics through 21. Um, but in Michigan, I was at a few different gyms. I ended at Gettert's Twist Arts, uh, which Anyone who's listening, if you're a gymnastic fan and you know who Jordan Weaver was and yeah. she was on the Olympic team, she was one of my teammates. And that was pretty much the club in Michigan. Like that was the best. And, you know, if you went there, you were going to get a division one scholarship. So yeah. I knew I wanted to go to University of Michigan and do gymnastics there. So had to end up at the Getter Swiss Stars. And I was there for four years before going to University of Michigan. And that was a big commute for you because you were living in Ann Arbor, correct? So it correct. was a commitment. But I think really interesting. And of course, I knew Twist Stars growing up. We always, you know, that was the the gym that always won everything. But um, you actually made the decision from a pretty young age that your goal was college gymnastics, which is not always the case, especially um, being as aggressive about, you know, going to the best gym. There's a lot of young gymnasts, of course, that have Olympic dreams. But can you talk a little bit about that and why you decided that the Olympic route really wasn't right for you from an early age? Yeah, no, that's a great question because as you said, so many girls just think Olympics, Olympics. And actually when I was eight years old, I went down to Texas. My parents took me down there and mm -hmm. I tried a few different elite gyms, one being Dominique Mucciano's gym, who I was a big, big fan of growing up and I loved her and I loved watching her. And it was really cool getting to meet her and was that her the, gym. and At the Corollis? It wasn't at the Corollis. It was a separate, it was still okay. in Houston. Okay. Um, but it was a separate gym that like her dad owned. Oh. Um, yeah. So I went and tried out there and I just thought the intensity of it just wasn't for me. And I actually came back from Texas and mm -hmm. told my parents, I want to quit gymnastics. I hate it. And it was like a week of doing the two days, the intense like Olympic route, because as you said, in gymnastics at a very, very young age, you kind of have to decide if you're going the Olympic route or college. Mm -hmm. Most gymnasts peak around 16. So it's very, very young. And I mean, people that watch the Olympics know a lot of the gymnasts are like 16, 17 years old. They're very, very young. Um, and so at eight, when I came home, I told my coach, she asked what my goals were. And I was like, I want to go to the University of Michigan and compete. But many people want Olympics. I just wanted, I wanted to be amazing blue. 
Mm-hmm. And then you were. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And I can appreciate that too, because growing up in Michigan, I also went to a lot of U of M gymnastics meets and I ended up, I think it wasn't until high school, but went to their summer camp a few times. And it just seemed like, and actually my high school gymnastics coach was a former U of M gymnast too. So I was constantly surrounded by it and it just seemed like such a great group of people and a great environment to be able to do gymnastics, especially after you've put in so much time, you know, leading up to that, to be really good at your sport. Yeah, I totally agree. And something else that just kind of turned me on to Michigan as well was just the phenomenal academics because I mean, both of us were done with gymnastics after college. So it's good having a solid academic background that you can use uh, in your future. Absolutely. And just to have that, like for you in your backyard, look coming from Ann Arbor, but you know, living in Michigan, it's great to have that as an opportunity for an in-state school. Um, Yeah. I want to talk a little bit too about, I don't know if you, you know, if you are comfortable talking much about the recent drama in gymnastics and especially with Larry Nassar coming from twist stars, which I know is, you know, where he was. I know I, you know, growing up in Michigan, if you're a gymnast, you've probably seen him or you know of him. I know I had probably one or two appointments for with him at some point um, when I was younger. But what has it been like for you to watch all of this unfold, um, especially something that's so close to home for you? Yeah, so I, I've i seen Larry multiple times, probably about 10 times um, in my life, just due to gymnastics. And it was a lot like mainly for my back. Mm-hmm. Um, because as you said, if you were a gymnast in Michigan, if there was a doctor, anyone recommended, it was always Dr. Larry Nassar. Like he was the it's gymnast doctor. He worked <laughs> yeah. with the, he worked with the Olympians. Like he's in Michigan. Of course, you're going to go see him. Um, and I still remember like where I was, what I was doing. Um, when I got a phone call from a news reporter asking to talk a little bit about Larry mm-hmm. and uh, like, I'm just like looking back on it. I'm so, so thankful. Like nothing happened to me. And like, when they called, I was like, I, uh, my, my instances with it was like, he was a great doctor. He always helped me. And they're like, have you heard what was going on? And I was like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Yeah. And so then they started telling me, you know, some of the sexual harassment and other things that were going on. And that my mind was just blown because luckily my mom was always with me when I was seeing Dr. Larry or it was after practice and the coaches were there and they, it was the days that they kept the doors open. Now there was some days you noticed like he was in the back and all of a sudden the doors were closed mm-hmm. and you're like, maybe the music was too loud or maybe they just didn't want to see the gymnastic going on. Like those were what I was thinking. And now yeah, thinking back to it, like I, I don't want to know what was going on in that back room. Um, and just a lot of the girls that ended up coming out, like they came out talking about these stories that were happening when we were training together. So I'm like, they were going through this when I was doing gymnastics with them side by side. Yeah. And I mean, if I was them, I probably wouldn't have talked to like your teammates about it because it's not something I don't know that you necessarily want to talk about, but I feel like it should have been more discussed just so it would have been more known back then instead of either people telling adults that didn't listen, which Mm -hmm. seemed to be the case quite often, um, rather than talking to other teammates and stuff about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Really a complex situation on many levels, but, um, you know, as you have seen it sort of unfold, what thoughts do you have about just the culture of gymnastics in general and how maybe that could improve or be 
maybe healthier for young girls and to, to try to not let this happen again? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think part of it is just like having adults listen to the kids. And I think that's the biggest thing that went wrong is I know I heard a lot of the Olympic gymnasts tried to tell coaches that, you know, they didn't feel comfortable working with Dr. Larry and mm-hmm. the coaches just kind of brushed it off. And they're like, he's a doctor, like, he's going to go to your hotel room, and he's going to help you out. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know, Dr. Larry would, you know, say that the girls were resisting them, or he would just talk against the girls. And I think that it's kind of like the coaches and the higher up people there, it's their fault for not, you know, looking further into it, especially when a couple of girls did come out and say that Larry had been touching them inappropriately or things were happening. So I think it's just better communication and I don't know, older adults and the coaches and stuff being more open to actually listening to what the gymnasts have to say because they have no reason to lie. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Well, thanks for sharing that insight. I know it's a, it's a tough topic and especially probably, you know, seeing so many of your teammates having to go through it is, is difficult. the other thing that I just wanted to ask about gymnastics in general is because it, something I've noticed is that a lot of probably what would also facilitate a lot of this culture is just that there is a lot of sort of old school thought in terms of training, recovery, nutrition. And now that you have had so much exposure to strength and conditioning and CrossFit and nutrition and recovery and health, are there things that you think you wish you would have known back when you were a young gymnast or that you wish the gymnastics community would maybe embrace um, more to help improve the longevity of their athletes? Yeah, I love that question. And I think it's definitely something that goes overlooked a lot because after my gymnastics years, I have done a few different sports, like you said, CrossFit. And I also did like some physique competing and uh, powerlifting, just different sports. And I've learned a lot about nutrition. Um, that's one main thing as I've gotten older um, and just like the proper foods to fuel your body with, because I feel like in gymnastics, it's at least the old school thought it's becoming better and better um, as far as like weight goes. Cause it's, Oh, you should be light. You should be light. Like, okay, eat less, but it's like, you don't need to eat less. You need to eat the right thing. So instead of eating like, I don't know, a half a bowl of Mac and cheese, maybe make it like some sweet potatoes and chicken and vegetables, like something that's a little better substance and that will fuel you better and not just strictly looking at calories, but also looking at like the fuel of foods. So I wish I would have learned that younger. Um, I learned a little bit about it even in college, but I feel like from a young, young age, it would be better than coaches just telling you, don't eat chips, don't eat bread. (laughs) Like what should I eat? That's actually going to make me feel better. Um, instead of just chips are going to make you fat kind of, I feel like that's, you know, what coaches said, I don't know mm-hmm. how your experience was, um, growing up in gymnastics, but I had a coach that was kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was lucky in that I, like I said, I got started a little bit late. I went to a gym that was very much, I think it was not as competitive. We'll say it was like, I, it was very much about having a good experience and enjoying gymnastics, but definitely we were not very competitive, um, which worked out well for me because I enjoyed it. And I had a great experience in high school gymnastics, but I always knew like, I'm never, I had no aspirations of going to college um, for gymnastics. So um, it was definitely a different experience. And I know that, that, that wasn't necessarily typical. I think most other gyms are probably different. Yeah. Um, and as, as I say, building on that as well, um, I've just learned a lot about like recovery. I think like when you're younger, you don't 
really pay attention to little things that you can be doing and like, I don't know, I feel like coaches should place more emphasis on making sure, you know, you're getting enough sleep mm-hmm. and things like that just outside of the gym, at least in gymnastics. Like they always say now when you're older, like do mobility and stuff, gymnastics, you do plenty of that. So yeah. you don't have to worry about that. But I think it just would have been better to know like the importance of um, even just like now I take a lot of baths and um, just do like stim for recovery. I think things like that would be helpful um, for longevity because gymnasts peak at a young age. And I think if the recovery was a little better, obviously your body still takes a beating, mm-hmm. but if recovery was a little better, I think gymnasts could last a little bit longer. Oh, for sure. I think too, if I had known a little bit more about strength training in certain aspects, like obviously you don't want to do all of it, but um, like I remember in high school, in high school, it was obviously different because we weren't training year round, but I went back and tried some skills after I had already started doing CrossFit in college and they were so much easier because I was just stronger in general. And it took me, mm-hmm. so it would take me a whole season to build up that strength doing gymnastics. But once I had some of the, the cro- strength from CrossFit, it made some things a lot easier too. Yeah. Well, and I think like now you've seen someone like Simone Biles. I mean, she's just amazing in herself, but she's like, stocky and she's strong and she's fit and she can just do these incredible moves. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago when we were doing gymnastics, it was about being tall and lean. And now you just see how powerful an athlete can be if they do have a little more muscle and the crazy skills that you can do if you are stronger. So I definitely agree with you in that, you know, there's a time and place for gymnasts to do some extra strength training to build power and do better moves. Yeah. What was your favorite part about college gymnastics? My favorite part about college gymnastics was just being surrounded by a phenomenal team. Mm-hmm. My The team, we ended up winning four Big Ten championships, which is obviously absolutely amazing. And, you know, we were all great gymnasts, but I think it's because our team chemistry was so good that we just were able to perform on the floor. And it was like your whole team was with you there on floor or vault, uh, which were my two events, uh, as I was doing the routines and just day in, day out, you were there for each other. Uh, gymnastics is usually an individual sport. So it was really cool going to college and having a group of depending 12 to 15 individuals, depending on which year uh, we're talking about, just have your back and for school or training, whatever it was just that are like your best friends. Mm -hmm. That's so awesome. I felt the same way in high school. Obviously, a very different experience, but it felt cool to actually be part of more part of a team. I think in club gymnastics, you are part of a team, but it's very different um, when you're when you're competing in obviously in college. But for me, in high school too. Yeah, um, that's cool. So then, what was it like for you to finally hang up, you know, and say, "I'm done with gymnastics"? I know that you know you've been doing this sport for almost your entire life. That's a big transition to go through. What was that like for you? Yeah, so it was basically everything that I knew. Um, luckily for gymnastics, when I was a junior, I knew my senior year was coming. Mm-hmm. And once my senior was done, I knew that was it for gymnastics. Um, so I'm lucky that I was healthy enough to be able to finish my career and know when the end was coming. I had a few teammates that, you know, their careers were cut short on last minute notice. And I think that would be really, really hard, but I just took advantage of every gymnastic meet we had and just thoroughly enjoyed everything. And especially nationals, my senior year, just, you know, tried to soak up every second of it and like, just take a minute and 
look around and look at the crowd and just think like, well, you know, what I'm going to think of gymnastics, when I think of gymnastics, this is what I'm going to think of and just all the positive that came from it and Mm -hmm. how much I loved it. But also my body was a little beat up. So I was ready to move on to whatever phase was next in my life. Mm-hmm. How about you? Well, I mean, I it was similar. Like I knew I was going to be done after high school, um, mm-hmm. but it was definitely hard. Like I remember uh, my coach asking me, well, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do in college? And I was like, well, you know, I did track in high school too. And I could have like walked on and done pole vaulting or done, you know, there was a club gymnastics team at Michigan, but I was like, I just don't really feel like that's, you know, that's something that I want to do. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll do the water skiing team or the boxing team. I tried all these different things, but then luckily I found CrossFit, um, like after my sophomore year. So that really stuck. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so then what did you do after you finished gymnastics and finished your, your school at Michigan? Where did you go next? So after I finished gymnastics, I talked to our strength and conditioning coach because I love gymnastics, but I also always love the conditioning mm-hmm. aspect of it. You know, all the pull-ups and handstands and just different crazy things that gymnasts do. And he was like, I think you would be really good at weightlifting. Like you have short levers and you're pretty strong for your size. So you should learn weightlifting. Yeah. So after that, I went to strength conditioning uh, room and did an internship. So I worked with a lot of the different Olympic sports like track and field, softball, lacrosse, mm-hmm. uh, different sports, just learning about strength conditioning and then also learning about weightlifting and then ended up doing a weightlifting meet uh, about six months after I finished gymnastics. Wow. So I got, yeah, I got to work with other athletes. Then I got to work a little bit on myself. But after the meet, I had a bulge disc in my back and some carpal tunnel stuff that, I mean, it was probably from gymnastics in hindsight. Um, and then finally just hit after my body like had decompressed a little and mm-hmm. switched over stages. So found weightlifting, but then had a couple injuries. So I got into some physique competing. I did a physique show, um, which I learned a lot about nutrition there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the bodybuilding training was fun and I could do it even with my back injury, but did one show and I don't know how you would feel about it, but you've been doing like performance sports. So when I did it, I was like, I don't want someone to tell me how to look. It's like different, you know, when someone's selling you your score based on how much weight you can lift or, you know, how well your routine was. So it wasn't for me. Yeah. I feel like I looked at that actually, now that you bring it up, when I started college, I looked at like fitness and physique competitions. It's like, oh, maybe I could do this. But um, yeah, never really, I never ended up going that route. I didn't really get into weightlifting at all until I started CrossFit, actually. I'd done a, f- a little bit in high school, but but that was it. So after physique, how did you end up actually finding CrossFit then? Yeah, so that's a great question. So after physique, um, I was still in Michigan at this point. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up moving to New York uh, with an ex because he was moving for fitness modeling. And I was born and raised, as we said earlier, in Michigan. And yeah. I was just so comfortable there that I wanted something different. One of my best friends was moving to San Francisco and then my boyfriend at the time was moving to New York and I decided, well, New York's a little bit closer, so I'll move there. Yeah. So I moved there, started personal training, just at a random gym that was close. And one of the coaches there was a powerlifting coach. So I also did a powerlifting meet before I started CrossFit. Mm -hmm. But during all of this time, like since I had finished college gymnastics, 
uh, Lindsay Mennery had been one of my teammates. Mm -hmm. It's like, Carrie, you should do CrossFit, CrossFit. And I was like, I'm <laughs> sick of gymnastics. I'm over it. Like no more. <laughs> She's like, it's handstands and pull-ups. It's not like you're tumbling yeah. or doing a beam routine, but still I was like, no, nah, like no thanks. <laughs> and then while I was in New York getting ready for the powerlifting meet, a guy emailed me about gymnastics and coaching. And I'm like, no, like I'm done with gymnastics. And he goes, CrossFit gymnastics. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll think about it. And during this time I saw actually you being one of the athletes competing on ESPN. Um, and I was like watching it. I'm like, this is so cool. I was like, they're so fit and they're so like well-rounded and good at everything. I was like, I think I could be pretty good at that. Mm -hmm. And so I signed up the weightlifting powerlifting meet was November, 2014. And then after that, I decided that I was going to try CrossFit. So started training in November and yeah, been doing it ever since. And I remember when you came on, came on the scene, the craziest thing to me was that you had just started in November and then you qualified through the open and regionals and to the 2015 games the following year after only doing CrossFit for a couple of months, which I feel like is a huge testament to everything that you had done up until that point with all the gymnastics and weightlifting, but it's so rare in that time, like back in 2009, 10, when I started, that was a little bit more normal, but in 2015, like the whole field is so strong that that was really, really impressive how strong you came out after just a few months. Thank you so much. And I think part of it is, you know, just the background of everything except endurance. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I had at least like not a lot of weightlifting experience, but enough that I could do the moves and then the extensive gymnastics helped a lot because my first regional, there was two handstand events mm -hmm. uh, that I ended up winning. So that definitely helped move me up the leaderboard because my, my one rep max snatch and a couple of the other events weren't where, you know, they should be for what I thought like uh, a games level athlete, but I was, I was strong, uh, strong enough and just really excelled at the gymnastics and put in work for the conditioning. So I was able to excel uh, pretty quickly. How long did you start before you made the games? For me, it was about a year. So I started in June of 2009 and then I went to the games in 2010. So that's great. That's so great though. That's awesome. It, it's crazy to think like I look back on that year and just to see how much, you know, people always talk about the CrossFit honeymoon stage, like that first year, first few months where you're just making improvements every single week and every single month. It's crazy just how well the program works. Like if you do it, you're going to get better. And it's, it was amazing to see that so quickly. Yeah. I mean, it definitely all paid off. So that's so cool. Yeah. And since then you've been to the games every single year, you've been really, really consistent as well. Could you talk a little bit about maybe some of the highlights of your games career so far? And then some of the things that maybe you know, people don't ask you about all the time or that you don't talk about all the time, but maybe some low points or points that you really learned from that then you implemented to, to be better for the next year. Yeah. So I think the number one moment of my CrossFit career, well, that I like always think about um, is during my second year at the CrossFit Games, just going from 21st, well, it's 21st, mm -hmm. uh, my first year in 2015. And then I was fifth place my second year. Um, and I think the highlight of my career was just being the top American mm -hmm. um, during the 2016 games, just going from being very, very new at the sport and trying to learn as much as I could about it and then being fifth place. So I got most improved that year. And I think that was definitely something that kind of 
motivated me to want to keep doing it. And now, like you said, going into my sixth CrossFit Games, I guess this is going into it. We did the first part now. Yeah, the second part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know if you could think it, but the sixth, the sixth year yeah. um, of doing it. So that was definitely, that's definitely been a highlight. Um, and then another high point was winning Murph my in 2016 as well. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, you know, that's such an amazing workout and like the hero odd and just meaning behind it and everything is just incredible. So winning a workout like that just meant the world to me. And then I think the third top three moments, I'll go top three. Yeah. Um, the third was Mary last year. A oh, lot of people that watch the games. Yeah. I remember, I remember oh, yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Being and Dave Castro. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Being all the guys. Um, and like when Dave Castro came up to me afterward, like, said great job. I was like, that never happens. Like he doesn't, he doesn't compliment people very much. No, it's rare. <laughs> yeah. So for him to be like, wow, you did a great job and you beat all the guys. And it was one of his favorite moments in CrossFit Games history. I was like, maybe I should just retire now because yeah, like, <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> that is, that is incredible. Wow. Thank you. So yeah, those are definitely the top three. Um, and then as you said, with any sport comes negative yeah, I mean, low points. I won't say learn negative because you learn. Right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so, I mean, first and foremost, just my first year at the CrossFit Games was such an amazing experience, but also such a great learning opportunity. Um, I think when you're that new, because like you said, I qualified for the Games about six months into CrossFit. And I think that so many people were just kind of like, who is she? Like, oh, she just got lucky. Um, but there was two gymnastic events. That's the only reason she qualified. And then to be able to come back from that and come back stronger my second year, I think I just started to prove myself to people and then being able to come back a third year and finish in the top 10 again, mm-hmm. um, two years in a row, I think, you know, just kind of solidified the point that I belong there. And I think I, you know, solidified it for myself too, especially in my mind, like, okay, I've been here three years in a row with totally different regional experiences and events and competitions. like. I finally belong here because my first year I qualified, but even to myself, I was like, I don't, I don't belong here. I was with all the other amazing athletes that I had watched on ESPN and had been to the games for many, many years. And I just like looked in awe. And I, I remember even like warming or training in the warm up area a little bit. And I was like scared to clean because I'm like, they're going to judge me because I don't, I haven't perfected this yet. And I don't know how to do this. And I just, didn't feel comfortable with them, but I was like, you qualified just like everybody else. So you deserve to be here. Um, and then I had a couple, I've had a couple injuries. One was, well, I've had hurt both of my Achilles. Mm -hmm. One was at the 2016 games, the box jump. I, well, I'll I'll talk real quick. And then, uh, (laughs) one was the box jump over workout into D balls. And I mean, luckily I didn't tear it like you did at regionals. I remember watching that and just like, ah, broke my heart because you're such like, a phenomenal athlete and inspiration for all Americans, of course. Oh, well, thank you. But yes, I always, I always feel for people whenever they hurt their Achilles, because it was even before I hurt mine, it was always in the back of my mind is like my worst fear. So, um, so you have to go, got to protect those guys. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I rebound this last open. There was 90 box jumpers in a workout. So me and my coach are like, Oh, let's rebound them. It's not that much. And then I hurt my other Achilles. So mm-hmm. I had to let that heal um, for about three months. And I was going to go compete in Dubai, but we're like, no, let's let it rest. And then you can compete at Wadapalooza 
because the doctor basically said you can choose Dubai and compete and then let it get well after mm-hmm. and, you know, potentially risk making it worse yeah. or you can let it heal and then compete at Wadapalooza. So I decided to do that. And then also this year I experienced a wrist injury. Mm. I was supposed to compete at Rogue, the Rogue Invitational, mm-hmm. but me and my coach decided it was for the best just to let it rest and get better. Cause I mean, against those tough girls, if you're not competing at your best, then what's the point of competing? So had to rest and let it get better, which anyone dealing with injuries knows it's hard, but I was able to squat and run. So work on a couple of my weaknesses while I was letting my wrist heal. Yeah. And save it, you know, always trying to save it for when it really counts with the games, which is sometimes hard to do when you're in the moment, but, um, but always worth it. And I love what you talked about too, with just the things you learned from your first year being there. Cause I think everybody goes through that the first year that you're there, you're always questioning like, okay, do I really belong here? And I remember my first year being there and also seeing, you know, I'd watched all the videos of the women from the 2009 games and sitting next to them during the briefings being like, this is crazy. Um, and, and going back the next year, I remember I always in the back of my head just said like, don't do worse than you did last year, which is not really the right attitude to have. And I learned that, um, but it is, it is a, an obstacle, I think, especially just getting comfortable knowing what to expect the whole experience is like and gaining confidence. So, um, and then with the injuries, is there anything that have, has helped you? Cause I know this is a common issue for anyone you know, how do you approach mentally being able to step back or maybe modify your training in order to allow it to heal um, instead of maybe pushing, pushing harder and then letting it get worse? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I think part of it comes with being a little more mature. Mm-hmm. I know, I don't know about you, but like when I was a gymnast, it was kind of like, okay, take things up and then go <laughs> for it. And then, I mean, depending on where you're at in the season yeah, and then let it heal like when you're done and I think as you get older, you become a little smarter and you really do just have to think about the big picture and the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. what's more important. Um, and like this year before Rogue, me, I still wanted to do it, but I knew it wasn't for the best and it wouldn't be a good decision, especially long-term because you could do more harm trying to do one competition and you could mess up something for life or just let it get well and then you'll be back on back on your way soon. So. There's always something you can do with, like if you hurt your wrist, you can always do lower body stuff. Or if you hurt your lower body, you can do upper body stuff. And I mean, we have one body and you have to take care of it. So you have to think about the long term and not just what's right in front of you as hard as it can be sometimes. So true. So true. But experience is sometimes the best teacher. <laughs> um, it is. So true. Once we, as we get more experience and we mature and we get older, we learn those lessons. Um, yeah. Because I know, have you had multiple injuries. I know your Achilles, obviously. Yeah, that was probably the biggest one, but I, I had had, I had injured actually my calf. I think it was the same, or maybe the other foot, um, a year or two before. And then I had sort of a neck injury going into 2014 games. And it just reminds you to, to take care of yourself and to be diligent about, especially when you're training that much, being diligent about your recovery and your warm ups and your pull downs. And you know, that stuff will catch up to you if you try to cut corners on it. So Yeah. And I definitely think that's something that you learn as you get older too. Like I talked to some younger athletes. They're like, I don't need to warm up. I'm like, yes, you do. Like take advantage of it now and make sure you warm up because your older self will appreciate you and you'll have a longer career in CrossFit or in whatever sport, or just feel better as you get older. If you take 
the time now to do your recover or your warm ups yeah. and your cool downs. And like you said, just place a little more emphasis on recovery because those are easy things to skip, but they were equally as important as the hard training. Yeah, so true. So true. Well, you mentioned this season dealing with a couple of injuries, but this season has also just been a crazy season in general. So, you know, starting with all the changes to the games last year, then having the open in October. So it's been a year since you qualified. Um, And then, you know, we had COVID, we had this crazy change to the games format. So you've already finished stage one, but can you take us through just your experience and your approach to this season? Yeah. So like you said, uh, it started in October, which was a recent change um, through CrossFit in the open. And I finished, I forget. I think I finished sixth in the <laughs> open. I know I was top 20. That's what matters. Yeah. Um, so I earned my games invite last October and mm-hmm. here we are again in October. So <laughs> it's been a full year of training, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah, it's yeah. a long time to be training that much. Did mm-hmm. you take any Especially, breaks? Uh, not, not as long as like I normally would. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I was dealing with like a little bit of Achilles uh, issues after the open, mm-hmm. but I still was doing a lot of like upper body stuff, and then I could still do like squats and things. So training intensity has been, you know, pretty high over the course of the year. Luckily, I have a coach that you know brings me down at some points, but mm-hmm. it was hard planning things out because my plan was to compete well originally Dubai and then like I said it ended up switching to Wadapalooza which was February and then I was going to do West Coast Classic in March mm-hmm. uh, Rogue in May and then the games ideally at the end of July mm-hmm. um, but did Wadapalooza and I'm thankful I took a week off after that and like enjoyed Puerto Rico it's awesome oh, nice. I met up with some people there and they showed me around so I was like a full week that I had off and out of the gym and then after that we ended up hearing about West Coast Classic, but they said Rogue was online. So we're like, okay, well, we'll continue to train though. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I lost a little bit of motivation and, yeah. you know, kind of questioned myself for a little bit after they announced that West Coast Classic was postponed to further notice, eventually ended up finding out next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Rogue, they pushed it to online. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, at least there's like, you know, something to train for. So after like a week or two of kind of having a low point. I was like, okay, well, time to get back into training. There's something to train for. And I mean, honestly, like I love training, but it always makes it better when you have something yeah. in sight. And it's hard with yeah, that so so uncertainty, even knowing like, is the games even going to happen or what's going to happen with the games? Um, and hearing, you know, the Olympics are canceled. Like that is crazy. So I can only imagine just the ups and downs of, sort of your emotions trying to navigate all this and have motivation for training day to day. Yeah. I'm just so thankful that I have like coaches that, you know, keep me responsible for my training and making sure I do it and do it to the best of my ability, especially on those days where it is hard. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I got the wrist injury. So it's kind of like, okay, well, rogue is out of the picture now. And the games, the first they were on or they were in person and then they got pushed back. And then they're like online. Um, so I'm just thankful that I was able to like stay motivated and end up training through all of it. And, you know, had a little bit of time off here and there, but nev- not a full week until the week after stage one of the games since February. That's crazy. And now you were also living in New York, which is the epicenter of the pandemic here in the U.S. So what was that like? Were you even able to do much training during the initial quarantine period? 
Yeah, so New York, it was very, very crazy during, especially the initial part of COVID. I remember riding my bike by Central Park and there was no one to be seen. And I mean, for anyone who's been to Central Park, there's people everywhere always. And even like through Times Square, it was like one or two people walking on the street. It was just like, this is not New York. Um, But luckily, like I had a lot of equipment in my apartment. And then I had a friend who had like had access to barbells and stuff. So I was able to do some training, but it was all by myself, which Mm -hmm. I mean, you're training at a high level. It's not fun to do by yourself or, you know, yeah. And sometimes you like the volume and intensity, but like I said, I had a coach to like keep me responsible for it. And at the end of the day, you have to remember that training is for yourself. So Mm -hmm. I was like, just go get it started. And that usually was the hardest part. Mm-hmm. But then we found out that, you know, New York gyms weren't going to be open for a while, which, so like you said, New York was where I was at, but then ended up having to relocate across the country to be able to train the way that I wanted in a gym that was open. So I moved out to Las Vegas uh, at the end of June. Wow. And what, what was the decision for Las Vegas? Why did you decide to go there? So my coach owns a gym in New York. Um, he owns CrossFit Dynamics mm-hmm. and him and his wife got together and they're like, we're not, we can't make the gym work here. Like we can't support ourselves, support our family. They have two kids mm-hmm. and we're going to have to move away. And my coach trains Ryan Elrod, who's a 35 to 39 masters. He was the masters champion for the online qualifier in Wadapalooza. And he lives out here in Vegas Okay, and was like, you guys should move out here. The weather is great and the gym is awesome and he loves living here. So he's like Vegas. And my coach came to the gym one day and said, we're moving to Vegas. Do you want to come? And the next day I'm like, sure, why not? Nothing's keeping me in New York. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time to maybe get a change of face or change of scenery and be able to train in a better environment, especially leading up to the games. Um, so what was state i mean i have to ask about stage one of the games because it's so different from anything you've ever experienced just in a competition setting being by yourself not knowing where you're at relative to your competitors what was the whole weekend like for you yeah so the weekend was certainly crazy but i was very fortunate that i was able to meet up with two other athletes um bethany shadburn and danielle brandon Mm-hmm. out in Sacramento, California. Uh, Las Vegas is at about 2,400 feet altitude. Okay. So my coach uh, my coach and I kind of discussed it. We talked to Margot Alvarez, mm-hmm. who also lives here. And she's like, I would go down to sea level. Mm-hmm. So we decided that I was going to do it with other two girls. And Austin, Texas is at sea level, but there's a lot of humidity. Mm-hmm. And Sacramento, California is at sea level. And the weather was a little bit more moderate. So we went out to Danielle Brandon's gym. And the three of us did the workouts, uh, one right after the other. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of nice, like getting to see someone else do the workouts. But at the same time, you're just like, was that a good score? Is that not a good score? Yeah. How, like, how is everything going to stack up? So yeah. like you said, it was really weird not knowing how other athletes were doing and where you stood until you were done with the block of workouts and, uh, CrossFit came out with the leaderboard. Yeah. How did you approach those days? I mean, was it similar to how you would approach a in-person games competition or was it different? I guess you also weren't at home yourself. So what was it like? Yeah. I mean, I approached it similar to, I do uh, similar as any competition. Mm -hmm. It was definitely different though, just not 
being next to an athlete because I think that's part of why I love competing is being side by side with people, mm-hmm. having the spectators cheer you on and scream you on and just being in that environment is just like so much energy and you push yourself and you don't think as much about the pain um, as when you're doing a workout by yourself. Yeah. But I'm thankful that there was like, cause CrossFit ended up sending judges. So it's nice that we had a judge and uh, the gym that we were at had some of their members come and spectate. Mm-hmm. And my coach was, it was really cool. Also like having my coach right there next to me, which is different than, you know, any other sort of competition. Uh, so it kind of felt like a competition, but also didn't, like I said, just because of those factors, but I did my best to keep it the same as a competition setting because I bet similar to you being an athlete and growing up in gymnastics, just that, that competition mentality, mm-hmm. nothing is like it. And you just like bring yourself yeah. uh, a little bit higher up than in training. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And for you, it really came down to the final workout. So I have to know what was that like, you know, finishing the workout, waiting for your score and then, you know, how you stacked up and then finding out that you were in the top five and you're going to be able to go on to stage two. Yeah. So right before the final workout, my coach is like, you moved up to seventh. So I started the first the weekend. I was in 15th, 11th, then seventh going into the final workout. Mm-hmm. And my coach is like, you're 10, 10 points out of that fifth place spot. He's like, we have a chance. You're right there. And then like right before the workout was going to begin, I don't know if like I looked nervous or he was just saying it for like, just to like ease me down. He just goes, it's another workout. And like t- the initial response in my head was easy for you to say, like, <laughs> right. this, this is another workout, but it determines if I'm going to get a chance to go to California and earn a podium spot, or if I'm going to be sitting at home watching everybody. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, like you can't think about that. You just have to think about what you can do during the workout. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, just go out there and do your best, like leave no regrets. Mm-hmm. and even if you go a little too hard on the workout, it's better to go too hard and not regret uh, like being easy on yourself yep. and, you know, leaving a couple seconds out on the floor and then getting that sixth place spot by like a few points. Mm-hmm. So did the workout, did the best I could. I tripped once in a set of 40 double unders. Other than that, it was as good as I could have hoped for. Mm-hmm. And then it was the longest hour of my life because yeah. I was, I think I was the last person out of anywhere because I'm on the Pacific coast mm-hmm. um, to do the workout. So we had to finish the workout by 2 PM. So I started at like 1:40. I was the very last athlete to go mm-hmm. and then sitting and waiting around for a <laughs> while. So it was a long waiting game and we knew I was right there, but I mean, there's a ton of other fit girls. So depending on uh, the times that everyone else got. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then I guess fast forwarding into the announcement, we were sitting watching and my coach saw that Kara Saunders had won the workout. Well, that was originally, and then she ended up getting second, but uh, we saw her in first and I was in eighth and my coach right away goes, that's it. We didn't make it. We're in sixth. That's oh, it. We're okay. done. And like, <laughs> I just, I just kind of like looked down and I was like, okay, well, I mean, I did the best that I could. I couldn't have hoped for anything else. Yeah. And they're like, and your final standings. And I like, I just like, kind of like didn't expect to see, I thought my name was going to be in sixth place. And then I like looked at it and everyone started cheering. And then I like had to do a double take. And I, I like, now I get goosebumps every time I tell the story. Uh, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I saw my name in fifth place and 
it was, uh, I don't know, it, you, like it's one of those times you just can't put into words. Yeah. I mean, probably similar to some of your experiences, like being on the podium. Um, you just can't put it into words, but it's just an amazing and incredible experience. Oh yeah. And I, I have to imagine it's, it's, it's really cool to be, you know, obviously everything resets when you go for stage two, but you know, like you at a minimum, like no matter what happens, you have fifth, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in the top five women, fittest women in the world, which is incredible. Obviously I know you're going for more than that and a podium spot for sure. But it's sort of, I think it will make the competition in that stage two just so much more interesting because like you're really, you're really giving it everything you have on every workout because you almost have nothing to lose. Yeah, no, you're certainly right about that. And so that's kind of the mentality that we've had training and training has switched a little bit, just like focused on, you know, a lot more conditioning and met cons rather than just like focusing on strength. Mm -hmm. Because when we go to the ranch, we know you know, similar to what it's going to be like a couple very, very, very intense workouts throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So kind of priming your body, like you said, to go hard in every workout, like there's nothing to lose. Yeah. What has been, you know, there isn't, that hasn't been that much time between the two stages. And obviously this, you haven't had a, a competition like this before or a games experience like this before, but what's been your general approach um, for training as you get ready for stage two? Um, so, I mean, luckily, like I have a coach that writes uh, yeah. all of my programming and everything. So it keeps it super easy for me. Yeah. Keeps it easy for me. He tells me exactly what I have to do. Um, and like splits it into sessions and like everything's on a clock. Yeah. Um, so that's been really nice. And, you know, just taking the same mentality that I do into my normal training, just giving every session my best. And I mean, now I feel like I've just been communicating with my coach a lot more, like going into almost every workout, like okay, how, what's the strategy for this workout? Mm -hmm. um, because like normal training, sometimes he's like, okay, you, you do your workout, you do the strategy that you think is going to work best. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about it after you can see where you crash and burn or where you think you could go harder. Mm -hmm. But I think right now it's just really figuring out where my body's at with every single movement. Like if there's say a hundred toes to bar in a workout, how am I going to break it up? How am I going to feel after it? If there's a bunch of rope climbs or muscle ups, just really knowing how my body feels uh, in regards to rep schemes and mm -hmm. things like that. So just figuring out all of that and giving my best mm -hmm. in the workouts. And I've had, uh, so Bethany Shabburn and Danielle Brandon uh, came to visit me in Vegas and oh. train some with me. Yeah. That's and awesome. then I have another workout partner um, who's been training as well. So we've had a small group, which is really nice to have other people push me. Yeah, that's huge, especially for this last big push. So interesting that you talked about just liking having a coach. I don't know if this comes from gymnastics, but I was the same way. I think like I'm such a good rule follower. Like if you tell me what to do, I will do everything and I will do it to the best of my ability, um, which I think, you know, works well for this type of a sport where you're not necessarily asking too many questions or trying to like switch things around on your own. Um, at least for me, it worked out really well. Yeah. Like I hear of people that don't have coaches. I'm like, I don't know how you do it. I'm a real follower that. like you. And um, I'm going to say it's the gymnastic background. I think it probably is. <laughs> There's something yeah. to that for mm -hmm. sure. Um, do you have, so you mentioned your coach a lot, but who is your, I know you have like a, a whole team, multiple coaches who, who is helping you get ready for stage two? Yeah. So I have Justin Kotler. He's my head, my main coach. Um, everything goes through him. Then I also have a weightlifting coach, Danny Casey, who's 
in New York. So I found him when I was still living in New York. Now we just do a lot more videos back and forth, but he has worked with Justin's athletes before. So he understands CrossFit, which is really nice, especially for a weightlifting coach. He knows my progress is going to be a little slower than weightlifters because I do all the, you know, crazy endurance stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also have an endurance coach who does like my running, my rowing and my swimming, Rob Carson. And he is also in New York because when I was in New York, I was working with him and I would go out to see him and his wife um, and train with them. Uh, so for coaches, that's, that's it. And then I have a doctor um, that I see out here. Mm-hmm. His name is John Patrick. And I feel like getting body work is equally as the, is equally as important as the yeah. training, just, you know, keeping your body healthy. And then I work with RP strength for nutrition because, you know, that's super important as well. Mm-hmm. And then Cooper Marsh is my manager. So I think that's, that's my team. <laughs> yes, it takes a village. That's awesome. It really, yeah. And that's like the basic people. There's a lot more like, of course, um, otherwise but. training partners and family and friends and everybody else. Mm. It's a huge the whole support, which will be interesting. I think for this year, because you won't really be able to have that big of a team there with you. Correct. Is, are you able to bring anyone with you or no? Yes. We're able to bring one person. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, that's going to be my coach, Justin. Mm-hmm. He's going to be there. But yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day and I'm like, we can't have a bodywork person um, or even like someone going out to run errands or do anything like that. So whatever you need, you kind of have to like stock up on before just to make sure everything's ready. So it's going to be a different experience. But I mean, everyone's in the same boat. So everyone's going through the same thing. So it's an equal playing field. Definitely. What is your daily routine like? I think maybe we can just talk about Right now, obviously, it's probably different depending on the time of year, but do you have a typical daily routine? Yeah. So as you said, it definitely is uh, different or, uh, throughout the year. But right now is I get up between 7.15 and 7.30. Then I'll eat usually like a quick breakfast. Or if I am just I just want to get started on cardio, then I'll just drink some sugars and protein for some sort of fuel. I'm not the kind of person that likes to work out or feels good working out on an empty stomach. I like having a little bit of energy because I feel like my performance is better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my first session is starts at either eight 30 or nine. And right now it's about an hour and a half to two hours. Mm-hmm. Then I'll take an hour to an hour and a half break and then start my second session around 11 or 1130. Um, Cause that's usually when my training partner, Ryan Elrod trains. Okay. So I was like, okay, I need to adjust my schedule to meet his because yeah. he was here first. So <laughs> I I'm jumping into his training session. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that one is usually around three hours, depending, it can be three and a half or four, depending on what Justin has programmed. And then after that, I come home and, and I, I always eat between sessions too. Yeah. Yeah. I like to make sure I'm well fueled. Um, and then I come home and then I eat another meal. And I usually like, while I'm eating it, I like to sit in, I have like rapid reboot, uh, recovery boots, just compression mm-hmm. that I like to sit in. I like my, di- uh, I don't know if I'd call it dinner one. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then I usually do some power abs work, uh, which is mm-hmm. uh, my online business. And then I'll do some mobility or do a little walk, take a little bath, something for recovery as well. And then I eat again. And then I'll either do a little bit more power abs work or I'll watch like part of a movie on Netflix and then do a little more recovery, mobility stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I usually go to bed between 9.30 and 10. Awesome. Well, 
That sounds like a great day. A lot of work, but a, a great day. <laughs> yeah. Let's no, talk like about, um, about Power Abs because it's something that has grown, I know, a lot. And especially during the times of COVID and quarantine, it's been something that I think people have had a lot of fun with is something they can do at home without any equipment. So how did you end up deciding to start Power Abs? So I, as you know, I was gymnast for a long, long time and I've always had abs and it's been something like people have always commented on how do you get abs or I love your abs. And I started working with uh, M Gordon Publishing Group, who's based out of Manhattan. And we started working kind of just talking about like gymnastics movements in CrossFit and the lady, one of the ladies that I work with was just like, oh my God, your abs are amazing. My husband loves your abs. We need to come up with an abs program. I'm like, yeah, like a lot of people have mentioned my abs, but I never knew how to go about it. So when she said that, I was like, okay, yes, create an abs program with a bunch of the gymnastics moves because it's different than what a lot of people do out there. And we decided 10 minutes is the perfect amount of time for someone to be able to commit five days a week and actually see results. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it came about. Yeah. And I saw on your website and on your Instagram, amazing before and after result pictures. It's That's super inspiring. It makes me want to do a little bit more abs work for sure. Um, <laughs> Love to get some power abs sent your way then. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely use it. Um, what, have, what has been, since you kind of got it started, what has been the coolest thing for you about seeing people do the program um, or the most rewarding thing? It's hard to like say one thing. Um, as you said, like recently it's, it's gotten a lot more popular and it was, it was just so cool, especially during like lockdown everywhere, getting to connect with people and doing, I did Facebook lives. I've been doing it since March, um, twice a week. And I've had so many people just reach out to me and be like, it's just so cool that you guys, that you're making time for us. And the highlight of my day is doing the power apps workout with you and just getting to like hang out with you or ask you questions. Um, so that's something that's been really cool. And then, I mean, as it's grown now, we have tens of thousands of people around the globe doing the Power Abs program. So it's cool that it's not only people in the US, but we've had people in India and China and New Zealand and all over Europe, like doing the program. So it's just touched so many people and people have uh, talked about having more confidence or no more lower back pain or, you know, they get, excited to send the before and afters that you've seen. So a lot of cool, amazing things that have come from it. That's super cool. Very, very cool. Thank you. Well, I want to start wrapping up with the three questions that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. So the first one is what are three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Um, well, I think one, as, as you know, I'm a professional athlete. So I think fitness working out is definitely number one because I, I love it. And there's like days where I'm in a bad mood or I'm just not feeling good. And the minute that I work out, I feel better. And I feel like a new person sometimes yeah. even just like after I warm up, I'm like, Oh, I feel so, so, so much better. So, um, yeah. And I think another thing is just prioritizing sleep. Um, it's definitely something like when I was younger, I did not, I mean, I've, I've always loved to sleep, but then I would, I had a really bad sleep routine and like would be on my phone too much before going to bed. Um, or I would like eat meals closer to my bed and 
I, I'll, I'll just chirp a little bit on whoop. Like it's something that mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not sponsored by them. Um, but it's something that right when I started using it, I realized how poor my sleep quality and routine was. So it's something that I needed to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing. And then, I mean, I think something else is just like helping other people. And it, I feel like isn't directly like related to my physical health, but it's like my mental health because I know if I'm helping other people, I just, I feel better. I feel just more rewarded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that started from personal training, just knowing that sense of helping people become better just mm-hmm. makes you feel better. And I feel like I can give back um, some of my knowledge to other people. And I do it right now, like through power abs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Do you do much? I know you have in the past done um, coaching, but do you do much coaching? Obviously probably not during this time of year, but is that still something that you do on a regular basis? I did when I was in New York, um, I coached CrossFit and then I was still personal training some clients, Mm -hmm. but since I've moved out to Vegas, I mean, it's been like pretty close to the games since we thought the games (laughs) were coming. I was like, okay, I'm not going to take on any clients out here right now, but maybe after the games and, uh, once training isn't as intense anymore than I might take on a few clients. Yeah. Very cool. What is one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it or something you haven't started doing yet? Um, that's a really good question. Struggle with or that yeah. has been difficult for you to do? Um, well, I guess part of, like I, I'll talk on like a different part of health, I guess. Um, and I think it's like social health. Mm-hmm. So I think like for me, sometimes because I'm like, so involved in CrossFit and then in my business, like there's sometimes where I'm like, you need to go like hang out with friends. Um, So I think like sometimes making like social outings and stuff a little bit more of a priority is something that I need to do. Um, And I think I kind of recognized that during quarantine, like Mm -hmm. I ended up doing more zoom calls and things like that, like with people that, I mean, not necessarily even like lived close to me, but just like throughout uh, the country um, and just like, being more aware of making time for friends and things like that. Cause I feel like social health is, or like, I don't, I guess it's social health. I don't know. Totally. I I totally agree with that. And I feel like it's so hard when you are a professional athlete because you, you are always having to think about your own self first. And I think that that was one of the hardest things for me or the, the things I probably realized most once I stopped was how much I was doing that and, and not taking part in some of those social activities that um, I wanted to, but you're always having to prioritize sort of your own sleep and training and nutrition and all those things. And it makes it difficult a lot of times. So that's, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Well, last question is what does a healthy life look like to you? Uh, A healthy life to me looks like obviously having fitness um, and then just being aware of what you're putting in your body. And that doesn't mean you have to eat clean a hundred percent of the time, but you know, try to make good choices because you only get one body. So you need to make sure you feel it properly, but also treat yourself. Um, and then, you know, making sure you're, you have uh, mental health, like you have a strong mental well being just day in and day out. And then also making sure that you're getting sleep because that's equally as important as, you know, the physical health, um, fitness and everything that you do on a daily basis, but also making sure you're recovering and getting in the sleep and recovery that you need. So I think those four aspects are very important to any healthy lifestyle. 
Love it. Love it. Well, this has been awesome. Thanks for taking the time. Like I said, I know this is always crunch time. And so I really appreciate it. And by the time when this episode airs, you will actually be in Aromas about ready to start competing. So for people listening, I know we'll be cheering you on. And I'm very excited to see another American on the podium. And I'm hoping that it's you. I don't know. I'm rooting for all all five of you guys. But um, I just want you guys to all do your best, of course. Um, So we wish you the best of luck in a few weeks. Thank you so much, Julie. And it was great being on your show. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I really enjoyed speaking with Carrie and you can learn more about her and follow along with her journey by following her on Instagram at Carrie Pierce CrossFit. That's K-A-R-I-P-E-A-R-C-E CrossFit or on her website, CarriePierce.com. You can also learn more about her Power Abs program at PiercePointers.com. That's P-E-A-R-C-E-P-O-I-N-T-E-R-S.com. Also, Carrie is giving away five free copies of her Power Abs program to you, the Pursuing Health listeners. All you have to do is post on Instagram with hashtag Pursuing Health and tag both Carrie Pierce CrossFit and at Pursuing Health by the end of the games weekend, Sunday, October 25th, 2020, and we'll choose five winners to send the program to. I also, as always, like to recap some of my biggest takeaways after our conversation. So here are some of the things that stood out to me. The first was about making decisions that are difficult in the moment, but have the long game in mind. Carrie talked about her decision to rearrange her sanctional season this year when rehabbing some injuries and how she's become more diligent with her warmups and recovery over the years. These decisions are often really hard in the moment because they don't reflect what we most want to do right now, but often they lead to more success and less pain in the long run. I'd say that Carrie's ability to remain so consistent as an athlete over the course of her entire life has to be at least in part due to being able to make these types of decisions regularly. My second takeaway was about enjoying the process and staying focused on a goal. This season brought a lot of ups and downs for all the athletes and for Carrie especially with a few unexpected injuries. Although she had missed a feeling down for a period of time when she didn't know if the games were happening, She went back to how much she loves to train and she stayed focused on the next sanctional or competition ahead of her. For all of us, there's only so much within our control and focusing on those things can help us weather difficult times. My last takeaway was about the rewards of giving back. Carrie has been an athlete her entire life, which often means a lot of sacrifice and having to be selfish in order to prioritize training and recovery. But despite her laser focus and success as an athlete, I love how she brought up how important it is for her to be giving back to others in some way. Whether it's through coaching or training others in person or her Power Abs program, being able to give back gives her a greater sense of purpose and fulfillment. I think this is a great reminder to all of us. It can be easy to get caught up in our own endeavors, but at the end of the day, making the lives of the people around us better is what life is all about. 